Here are the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Golden State back in action tomorrow night when they take on the Houston Rockets. And uh, joining us right now from ESPN is Chris Broussard, who's going to be handling the uh, sideline duties for the game in front of the uh, Rockets and the Warriors. He'll be up in Boston when the Atlanta Hawks are in town. And, and Chris, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. And uh, obviously when you look at the Celtics, and we just saw Boston in Boston, uh, they've really come together without Rondo. They've, they've got a nice little chemistry, and it's it's all based on what they do on the defensive end. Yeah, I think their record is 13-4 and four, uh, since Rondo went down. And what you see is just, um, first of all, defensively. Rondo's a, a solid defender. Uh, most scouts around the league will tell you that he's overrated defensively. He's known as a great defender. And while he does get you steals and, you know, he can obviously really buckle down when he wants to, um, he, you know, gets out of position at times and the rotations can get messed up because he gambles a lot. So when you put Avery Bradley in there with Courtney Lee, now you've got two really good defensive players on the perimeter. And, and Avery Bradley is phenomenal defensively. He's picking guys up full court. He's really pressuring them, and that just – slows down the offense uh, and keeps them from getting into their sets uh, until late in the shot clock. So defensively, that's a big reason why they've improved because they can really pressure opponents on the perimeter now. Offensively, Rondo, obviously, terrific playmaker, led the league in assists. Uh, but now that he's out, there's a lot. There's more ball movement and other guys are getting a lot more touches. He, he would dominate the ball as a lot of great point guards do. But now, without him, and Bradley and Lee, neither of them is a true point guard. So now you've got the ball moving a lot more. And you've got two veterans who, in addition, mainly Pierce, in addition to being a great scorer, he also can make plays for his teammates. So he's almost, I wouldn't say a point forward, but he's a guy that can really make a lot of plays uh, and he's having to do that now that Rondo's not there. And same with Kevin Garnett. He's a great passer. And so they're playing through those guys and really getting a lot more ball movement on offense. Uh, even you saw last night against Indiana, the great feed for the game-winning layup from Garnett to Jeff Green. So that's their formula, and it's really working well. I wouldn't argue at this point, certainly, still a small sampling that they're better without Rondo because – you know, he's such a great player. You, you'd certainly love to have a point guard like him. But they are playing well. You have to give those guys a lot of credit. I mean, they're veterans. KG and Pierce are just straight-up winners. And that's seeping into the other players uh, and as, who are following their lead. And then, of course, Doc Rivers doing a tremendous job. You know, it's funny, too. You look at the East, and, and we've got a little bit of a race with the Warriors in Houston and Utah at the bottom end of the West, which I'm going to ask you about in a moment. But let's start with the East because a game and a half separates four to seven. So a game and a half from one of those four teams, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Chicago, and Boston, uh, possibly getting home court advantage. Who do you like in this, this run to the finish? Who do you think has the advantage? Well... I probably would say Brooklyn. I know they've, you know, they've been up and down. Uh, I think they've played very well at times, and I, and I expect them to to get better and kind of really settle into who they are uh, pretty soon. Um, but Chicago is the team that everybody kind of has its eye on. First of all, is Derrick Rose going to return? 
Um, you know, you're getting to a point where I'm sure he would be able to play at some point this year, but you're getting to a point where if he doesn't come back soon, then you may feel like just, you know what, let's just shut it down until next year. I mean, you don't want to bring him back during the playoffs or right before the playoffs because no matter how ready he is, they're going to be ups and downs. I think you want to bring him back with, say, a month or so in the regular season so he can really get, you know, get his legs under him, get used to playing, get his timing back, get his chemistry back with his teammates, and really find out, okay, how he needs to play this season uh, going forward for them to have their best chance to win. But assuming Rose comes back, I think Chicago, regardless of where they finish, they're going to be a dangerous team that nobody really wants to face. Um, if Rose were, if he were to come back like within the next week or so uh, and really be able to play close to what he was, that may be a big if, but if he can, then I think they would arguably be the, the toughest challenge for the Miami Heat in terms of winning the conference. You know, it's interesting that on the last – road trip the Warriors had back east. Uh, I have to tell you that they, even though they, they trailed New York, the team that impressed me that we saw on this trip, the team that impressed me the most was Indiana. They, they get after you defensively. They're long. Uh, they're athletic. Uh, Paul George has just taken a huge step forward in his development. Uh, I, I've got – I I got a feeling that the Pacers might be the team that, that kind of, even though they're really good, they're kind of below the radar in terms of, of maybe getting to a conference final. Yeah, I think they have a great shot. Look, any of those teams from two to seven, and that well, I don't really put Atlanta in that group. I don't think they have a shot at getting to the conference final. But I think New York, Indiana, Brooklyn, Chicago, Boston, every one of those teams has to feel like, look, we can get to the conference final. Every one of those teams should be thinking, and, and they wouldn't even admit this, but if I'm one of those teams, I'm thinking – if we lose to anybody but Miami in the, in the East, then we should be kicking ourselves. Because all those teams are grouped close together. I mean, they're essentially on the same level. Um, and I, could, I wouldn't be surprised if any of them beat the other. Uh, so, but you mentioned Indiana. Yes, very good team. I think most people would say uh, that they are the biggest threat of the Miami Heat in terms of winning the East. Um, they're an interesting team because, as you said, Paul George has emerged as an all-star. David West, we know, has been an all-star in the past. Danny Granger, you know, he's back. He's kind of still not right, so we don't know what his role is going to be with the team um, because of the injury. But um, they don't have that superstar. And typically in this league, it's always taken a superstar or a, a perennial all-star. We, we have Paul George is not that yet. David West not a perennial all-star. So for them to win the East, they would really have to be uh, going against a lot of history because we just see very few teams get to the finals without having that one transcendent star. Um, so we'll see. A lot of people believe in them. They play ter- tremendous defense. They're physical uh, and that's a problem for Miami. Miami's not, you know, a, a very physical team. Uh, they're not big. So if you've got size and you want to pound uh, in the paint, then, then you can give them problems. We saw last night Nikola Vucevic from uh, Orlando. I think he had 25 points, 21 rebounds 
some big numbers last night when they almost pulled off the upset of the Heat. Yeah, don't remind Doug Collins of Vucevic. <laughs> He's oh, get... my God. <laughs> That's been a nightmare. And I tell you what, it's only getting worse because now what do you do if you're Philadelphia? You know, um, you know, I... I can't – there's no way you can put big money in this guy in terms of long-term. Now, I, if I were in their position, I would offer Andrew Bynum a one-year deal. And, look, he just got paid for not playing this whole season. And we had, they had no clue. It wasn't like he was injured before. You know, they knew there was a chance he'd miss some of the season. I mean, this guy, you know, they thought they are getting the second-best center in the league. And Doug Collins was incredibly excited, you know, with Drew Holiday, very good point guard. You know, you've got good players on that team who would be really good role players. Now they have to play like stars because, you know, you don't have a a, a real huge superstar. I mean, Drew is becoming a very good player. Um, But he's a point guard. He's not going to, you know, get you 25 points a night. So Evan Turner and... And all these other guys, Thaddeus Young, they're in positions where they need big points from them, and that's not, they don't have that ability. But you put them around an Andrew Bynum who would get you 20 points, 10 rebounds a night. And now all of a sudden, those guys are playing a lot better. And Philadelphia maybe is in that group of teams we just talked about where I don't think, I don't think they're beating the Heat. Obviously, but you know they're they're a solid playoff team who can make a little noise in the postseason. But now, I mean, I know it's killing Doug and driving him crazy, um, and and understandably so. Talking with Chris Broussard of ESPN, I'm Tim Roy. We continue with the Warriors and the Rockets tomorrow night, seven o'clock. Our coverage just starts on KBR 680, the Sports Leader. The Miami Heat have won 16 in a row. Uh, still one of the great records that uh, doesn't get. You know, as much play as baseball's hitting streaks and so on and so forth is that 33-game winning streak the Lakers put together uh, back in the early 70s. That's a, just an unbelievable uh, mark. But uh, I have to say, LeBron, to me, has really shown this year. I mean, he, he, we all know how great he is. We all know what kind of a, a player he can be. But he's now taking it to, to you know, uh, to the top right now. I, I, I just think right now he's, he's going to be a player that, we're going to look back upon when he retires. And, you know, when you consider his body size and his ability and his his will, he has one of the strongest wills on the court I think I've ever seen. I mean, he's just he's just unreal. He, he's certainly, you know, he has to be now in the discussion or starting to get into the discussion, you know, of, of the best of all time because I just don't remember a guy ever being that big, being able to do the things that he can do on the floor. Well, he's the size of Carl Malone. You know, exactly. Mr. Carl yes. Malone exactly. doing all the things. He's just running the point, shooting threes, defending every position on the floor, defending point guards at times, Derrick Rose at times. You know, I mean, you're right. Look, he's a top, he's already a top ten player of all time. And, you know, when you get to that level, you're obviously nitpicking uh, as you separate who's better than who. Uh, you could argue he's top five. I think the thing just the eye test and just in a vacuum, you could maybe argue he's the best player of all time. You know, I had one general manager tell me, he said, if you take out winning, he thinks LeBron's the best player ever. And that might sound funny, but, you know, meaning if, if it's not about rings, if it's just who is the best player, you know, 
looking at their body of work, he said it'd be LeBron James. But obviously you do incorporate the winning. You do incorporate rings. And that's where Michael Jordan was six, a Kobe Bryant was five, a Magic Johnson was five, even Larry Bird was three. You know, these guys have that over LeBron at this point. I don't think he has to get six to start the argument of is he better than Michael Jordan, but I do think he has to get three or four, you know. And um, so, you know, he's, he's just, like you said, a tremendous player. And what you're seeing this year is – really the worst nightmare of those around the league outside of Miami because a lot of people felt like once he got that one championship and he got that monkey off of his back and he finally, you know, overcame all the obstacles, kind of like Michael Jordan did when it took him seven years to win it, uh, they felt like that would take LeBron to another level and he would begin to play more relaxed and just be more comfortable and really just as great as he's been, become even even greater. And I think that's what you're seeing this year. I mean, he's always played great basketball. But now the goals, the streaks he's had of shooting over 60% from the floor, you see him not settling for jump shots, you know, three points. He used to be good for probably about four bad shots a night, you know, where he'd just pull up, a ba- take a bad three. Now he's not settling for bad threes. He's shooting over 40% from the arc because he's shooting less from there. He's going to the hole more. Last night you saw him hit the game-winning layup against Orlando. Um, You know, he's posting up more. So he's really just playing terrific basketball. And it's obviously spilling over to the team, which is really what you like if you're as a a coach. Uh, Not only is he playing great individually, but it's leading the team to victories. And so who knows, he's still young, he's 28 years old, uh, still, you know, when you look at how long Kobe Bryant has played at a high level, I mean, Kobe's playing great into his 17th season. I mean, if LeBron can do that, then you're talking about, you know, another seven, eight years of tremendous play from him and who knows how many championships. So, yeah, um, he is certainly already an all-time great, and probably in the single-digit uh, all-time great, um, and and a sky's the limit. I mean, we'll have to see how far he can climb, and can he really challenge Michael Jordan for that that mythical um, title of the world's best player ever. Chris Broussard, our guest from ESPN. I, Tim Roy, here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I've got a topic for you that you can chat with John Barry when you guys are uh, waiting to come on. I think on John might be in Boston with me tomorrow. I okay, think. So here, I'm not here, positive. Damian Lillard reminds me of this because, you know, he's an Oakland guy. And, uh, and obviously I'm an advocate because I've lived here now for uh, 18 years. It's my 18th year with the Warriors. And, and I just think the East Bay especially and the Bay Area in general, it's kind of an underrated basketball area. As I was arguing with an East Coast buddy of mine uh, over, a, a, well, let's say over a cup of coffee when we were on the road trip, I, I said that, uh, uh, you know, hey, I'll start with, you know, the backcourt of Kidd and Peyton with Bill Russell at center and Silas at power forward. I'll find a small forward, you know, who's, you know who can go. We'll start with that team and, and go from there. I just think it, it, the East Bay's produced a lot of great basketball talent, and uh, it, it's, it's, and Lillard's the, the latest uh, to come out, especially yeah. the Oakland area. You know who has that little chip and little fire in his belly, and he he's been uh, outstanding this year for Portland. No, you're right. Look, that is a great uh, underrated basketball uh, hot hotbed. There's no question about it. 
you know, you've got the D.C. area, obviously. You've got Prince George's County near there. You've got, I think New Jersey now is better than New York. New York, look, New York, I, I'm not going to belittle what New York has meant to basketball. But I think at this point it's overrated. You know, most of the players coming out of there now, they really get all the hype in high school. They're not living up to it. You know, I mean, Lance Stevenson has become, at this point, a solid role player in Indiana, but he was supposed to be the best player in the country, you know, coming out of high school. Sebastian Telfair had a nice, you know, he's had a career, and that's, you could, that's saying a lot for a guy that's really only about 5'10", if that, 5'9", uh, 5'10". And, you know, but remember how much hype he got coming out of high school. He was supposed to be the best point guard in the country. Right. You know, so I think New York has become overrated. And and I agree with you. Obviously, L.A. is good. But the Bay Area, you know, that Seattle area is tough, too. You know, Very they good, yeah. Nate Robinson, Jamal Crawford, Brandon Roy, Marvin Williams, a lot of good players up there. So, uh, yeah, you, you no question, you don't get any arguments from me that, the Bay Area is certainly a great basketball area. Okay, bottom end of the West here before I let you go. You got the uh, the, the Jazz, the Rockets, the Warriors picked up a, a big night last night for the Warriors because they picked up a game on both Houston and Utah. Uh, the Lakers somehow stole one last night coming back with a huge fourth quarter comeback oh, in, in New Orleans. Uh, to me, just looking at the schedule now, this is schedule only, it looks like Utah probably has the toughest road, and if, if the Lakers are going to catch a team, it might be the Jazz. No, I agree with you. Utah's schedule is brutal. I mean, they've got New York. I think they got Chicago next, then New York. Then they got, a, I can't think of it's Philly or some, somebody that's not very good. And then they play Oklahoma City. I mean, they've got San Antonio. They've got New York again. So their schedule is tough, and I do agree with you. I see the Lakers sneaking in. Now, if you're the Lakers, certainly you're thinking, okay, yeah, we'll we'll just be happy to get in. But ideally, they do want to try to climb up to that sixth spot. And I know the Warriors want to keep that spot because you've been three and one against the Clippers, which is what the three-six matchup would be at this point. Correct. Um, you know, the Warriors have been struggling. You know, they've won two in a row, so they they've kind of started to turn it around. But we all know they've been struggling lately. What five? They won five of their last 15 or something like that. Um, and I thought they had a chance to fall out. Um, but if they're, you know, maybe they're turning around, starting to play better. Uh, but for them, the, the focal point needs to be obviously staying in the playoffs, but trying to hold on to that sixth spot. Not that you fear anybody, but you know if you're seventh or eighth, you're going to have Oklahoma City, Maybe San Antonio, assuming they can hold on uh, without Tony Parker for a few weeks. So that's not a matchup you want to go into. So, uh, yeah, I think I think the Warriors want to hold on to six. The Lakers will sneak in. I think the Rockets will stay uh, because they've been fairly consistent this year with who they are. So it's, it's going to be a great, great, great playoff uh, run, as always, in the Western Conference. Yeah, 14 of the last 20 for the Warriors will help them because 14 of the last 20 are on the home floor. They've been road heavy uh, for a long time in the middle part of this yep. season. And uh, and you're right. You know, I think that the other thing about the Lakers is they may sneak in, but but if you're you're sneaking in to play Oklahoma City, that's not a sneak in. That's you know, that's a no, that's exactly. A, I mean, <laughs> that's a, that's what a lot of people are saying. You know, under their breath, look, yeah, it's all about the Lakers making the playoffs and all that. 
But uh, if you get there and your first round is Oklahoma City or, or even San Antonio, it's going to be a short stay. So why? Because this is the thing. The Lakers, I know they've won. I think they've won 14 of their last 20, um, something like that. But they're not playing much better. They really aren't. I mean, they're finding ways to win. I guess they're playing better than they were two months ago or a month and a half or a month ago just by the record. But they still don't know who they are. That game last night, I mean, there is no excuse. When you're fighting for your playoff life and you're facing a team in New Orleans that is, almost has the worst record in the league, there's no excuse for you to be back down by 22 points. I think it was 22 at one point. You know, and, and to have to come back the way they did and to ride Kobe Bryant's cape uh, to, the, to the victory – that shows you they aren't, they're not playing well. They don't know who they are. You know, they, they're not, you know, are we a slowdown team? Are we a fast team? Do we post up? Do we pick and roll? Does, is Kobe a volume shooter? Is he going to get everybody involved? They don't know. And Dan Tony wants to play one way, and the players feel like they need to play another way. And defensively, they're atrocious. Uh, so even if they – look, I want them to get to the playoffs because it's certainly a more exciting story uh, if, as long as the Lakers are alive. I mean, it's great drama. Uh, it's something to talk about. It, it's awesome. It's like when the Heat were struggling uh, with the big three. Uh, but there's no reason to think that they're going to be able to make any noise whatsoever when they get there at this point unless they really turn it, up, turn it on over the next month of the season. Chris, the final question for you, and, and it's only because we play the Bucks on Saturday. I'm going to ask you about this. I read uh, Baino Udrich's comments about the Milwaukee not being a good place right now after he was traded. Uh, what do you hear about the Bucks? Obviously, we're interested. Uh, Monte Ellis obviously starred for the Warriors for a number of years, and we know how dynamic a player he can be. But he's in the same situation he was with Steph Curry. He's playing with a, 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 a smaller backcourt a member who needs the ball in his hands as, as well. What do you hear about the Bucks and, and, and what they might be looking at doing in the offseason? Well, obviously, Brandon Jennings will be a restricted free agent. Monte Ellis, a free agent. If he opts out, which he will, uh, he'll be a free agent. They like both of them. Um, they do understand, look, it's tough to win with a small backcourt like that. you got two small guys, so defensively you're going to be at a disadvantage. But those guys can play. Uh, it, it is. You're right. It's very similar to the situation in Golden State, you know, uh, when Monte was there, especially when it was Monte and Steph Curry. Um, but they understand they may have to lose one of those guys. I think they like to keep Brandon Jennings, uh, but they, they understand they may lose one of them. It could end up being him, could be Monte Ellis. Um, that's part of why they brought in J.J. Reddick, because they feel like if Ellis goes, uh, he's a guy that can play next to Jennings, and he, you know, Jennings, he, you know, he's a great passer. I remember watching him a lot in high school, and going over to Italy with him uh, when he was. I did a big story on him when he was uh, playing over in Italy out of high school. He does have tremendous passing skills and court vision. His assist numbers don't really show it uh, this thus far in his career. He's at six and a half right now, but the last few games with Reddick there, you've seen his assists have been through the roof, 19, 17, and 12 in his last three games. Um, so Reddick could play next to him, they believe, because Reddick's such a great shooter, and Jennings can create opportunities for him. 
Um, they were, as you know, they were really going hard after Josh Smith. And this was the thing. Look, was Josh Smith, was a trio of Josh Smith, Monte Ellis, and Brandon Jennings going to lead you to a championship? No. But you're in Milwaukee. And, and you're not getting, if most free agents aren't going to go there. Now, you can overpay somebody and, um, you know, maybe you get a special type of guy who doesn't really care about the, the city. Uh, and maybe they'll go there. But for the most part, you're going to have to build through trades, free agency, and things like or not free agency, the draft and things like that when you talk about trying to get that superstar. So they thought maybe that trio, it, it makes them relevant. You know, that's a good trio uh, with Ellis Smith and Jennings. Uh, and if they had gotten that, they would have been an exciting team, fun to watch, would have played up tempo, uh, and, you know, would have been a, a solid playoff team. And at this point, that's a huge improvement over what they've been over the past several years. So uh, that's really what's going on in Milwaukee. Championship, being a, being a contender is nowhere near being in sight. At this point, it's about let's get relevant, let's be a perennial playoff team and see if we can build from there and take that next step. Yeah, you know, Smith and uh, Monte, that great history they have back in AAU ball. Uh, would certainly they yeah, would get that's, along. That's, you know, and that's one reason Josh Smith was willing. You know, Milwaukee was on his list of places he would be willing to go and stay long term because he, you know, of his history with Monte, and also, you know, he likes Brandon Jennings' game too. He thought they could have really been pretty exciting. I always learn something when I talk with Chris Broussard talking some basketball. I follow you on Twitter. Uh, how can the people listening tonight follow you? Uh, at Chris underscore Broussard. So uh, I appreciate the plug, and uh, it was good talking with you guys. And we look forward to your work uh, tomorrow night on the game in Boston. Safe travels there. Say hi to Mr. Barry for us, and, and uh, look forward to maybe uh, seeing you at Oracle sometime in the future. I'd love to get out there. I don't have anything scheduled out there, but uh, maybe we can work something out because I'd love <laughs> to get back to Oak Town. I'll have my boss call your boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas.